And welcome back, listeners. It's good to see you. No, no, you. I don't see any of you. <laughs> you see? No, you do. You don't even see me. You hear me. So I don't know what I'm saying. This is a terrible intro. Let's uh, move on. Welcome to Ambushed. This one is called Four Ways of Being Imago Day. This is one I've been looking forward to doing, and uh, it's been bouncing around in my head for a couple of weeks, but I need to explain where I've been. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, I was with uh, my church and spending some time with the youth and some other leaders in a part of North Philly where we stayed overnight, and then every morning we woke up and went to different work sites around Philly trying to, to make the city better. Um, we did a fair amount of spackling and um, sanding. Some other people did painting and construction. It's just good to be a part of a movement that wants to better the world and not just sit around and talk about God. Although that is what we did in the evenings. We did have speakers and that was delightful. And I relish the memories with some of those teenagers and the other two leaders. It was a fantastic time. But then last week... I had the good fortune of being invited back to Delanco camp for a third time, a third summer in a row, to be one of the teachers slash preachers. Um, It's always been a delight to go back to camp ministry settings, even if it is uh, just for a week. I used to do that all the summer long. So camp ministry and its antics are really close to me. Uh, But... Since we are right on the heels of that retreat, I know that there are a fair number of teenagers and counselors and other people on staff that might be listening to this. So I want to give you a shout out. So to Katie, Christina, Mel, to Josh, to Jack, to the other Josh, to the other Christina, Scott, all of the Saunders, uh, Jonathan, man, I could go on and on. All of you people are such a delight, and and thank you for having me be a part of your crew. And one other thing, just before I get started, which I'm kind of shocked I didn't say this before now, but I have a a good friend, Kevin Lester, who has been working on his own podcast for a couple months now. It's called The Lo-Fi Lectionary, where he is going through the book of Luke, chapter by chapter. He'll give a, a chapter on it a reflection on it, and then halfway through the week, he gives like a kitchen talk, which is really fun as well. And I have to say, he's probably doing a better job than I ever could at making the Gospel of Luke be entertaining. So cheers to him. And yes, I did host his most recent one, but I'm kind of disappointed that I haven't mentioned him on here before now. I've sent some of you to go listen to some of his podcasts. I know I know of some teenagers that I've sent that now listen to him. But Give him, give him a shot because his reflections and things he says coming from the book of Luke are really remarkable, they're deep, and for people that are tired of the same old church answers, he does a really delightful job at presenting another angle on this really old book. So kudos to Kevin and his podcast, The Lo-Fi Lectionary. Go listen to it, give it a good review if you loved it, and uh, just support him because he's a fantastic guy, and I've known him for years. So without further ado, without further ruckus, let's uh, 
dive in. I am on the Enneagram, a number five, which means I am the innovator slash observer. I, I get tired of the conventional answers and I really enjoy studying. So when I came across this phrase in Mago Day a couple weeks ago, I was kind of encouraged by some people to, to think about to think about it in a new way. Um, and so right now I would like to give you four ways of thinking about being in the image of God. We actually presented some of these views to the campers last week at Delanco Camp. So here are all four of them. The first one is standard. The last three are going to be brand new angles to at least some of you. So buckle in. Here we go. In Genesis 1, there's the phrase, Then God said, Let us make them in our image, speaking of mankind. It's Genesis 1.26. This has become, throughout history, a very important phrase because it is a profound thing to be called in the image <laughs> of God. And so theologians and rabbis and pastors and people of the general populace and the congregation of any church have really rolled over with this idea. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Well, here's number one. To be in the image of God means that you and I and everyone else we know have an inherent dignity, have importance and value that is irrevocable. Just because of who made us, we are made in the image of the divine. And so for that reason, I'll say it again, you and I and everyone else we know have inherent dignity, importance, and value. Now, some of us might say that truth has been held back from us, or maybe we've done something to hurt it, but by and large, most of the Christian tradition would say that regardless of your mistakes, you will always be in the image of God. St. Bonaventure, who was one of the follow-up people to St. Francis, who I adore both of these figures, really took this to say that you and I have the fingerprint, footprint, soul print, whatever you want to say, of God all over us. In fact, all of creation does. But humanity does in a very profound way. A very profound way. So that's number one. But here's number two. The word image very likely uh, translates... Mm, image may not be the best word for it. So it could potentially also mean reflection. Because back in the day when Genesis 1 was written, a couple hundred years before Christ Perfectly clear glass may have been um, not something that's easily found. However, polished metal might have been. And so image might have more to do with reflection, like a mirror. You and I are in the image of God because we reflect God. Now this also has implications because... You and I, whatever we direct our attention towards, that's what we reflect to the rest of the world. 
And if you think about it, it's kind of true. If you spend your whole life thinking about money and all of your attention is directed towards money, money is the thing of ultimate concern for you, then you're going to reflect money to everyone else. You might be in the image of money then, which is a little scary. But the thing is, people will see what you are directed towards, just like a mirror. And if you describe a mirror, you may not actually describe the mirror. You'll, you will describe what you see in the mirror. And so for some of us that are filled with anxiety and greed or hate or jealousy, people are going to describe those things because that's what we reflect. Those are the things that have our ultimate concern. So be careful of spending all of your energy um, directed towards and concerned with fear or jealousy or anger or hatred or um, those things. Because we are in the image of what we reflect. We are in the image of what we point all our attention towards. So that's the second angle. Just be careful of what you're reflecting. The third angle of looking at uh, the image of God is something that kind of slips by. Let us make them in our image. The Christian tradition has taken this as uh, a reference that the Trinity actually exists, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Genesis. Let us make them in our image. I don't want to take that angle right now. I want to take this angle. Let us make them in our image. Now, what does that mean? It means that you and I are not the image of God when alone. We are the image of God when we are in community. Let us make them in our image. That's a plural, not singular. That you and I and our communities, these things, if they're healthy, they, res they reflect the image of God. And so, in one sense, I am never the full or complete image of God, and neither are you. But when you and I come together despite our differences, we start to show more of the image of God than we do alone. I mean, this is profound that any faith community that's bound together through faith, hope, and love in a very deep and profound way, are the very image of God to people. That somehow the collective that is altogether different, but still standing in solidarity, standing together in unity, reflect the Trinity that is God. Ooh, that's a good one, right? Let us make them in our image. It's plurals all over there. Now here's the last one, <clears throat> and some people don't like this one because it kind of ruffles feathers, but when you listen to it, you're like, oh man, it's a good point. If you are a strict um, literalist who reads the Bible straight through as seriously as possible, you cannot escape the fact that no one, no one has been called the image of God since Adam and Eve. 
which means you and I and everyone else we know, none of us are in the image of God, not even together. The phrase image of God has been lost for a very, very long time. And then in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, it is a phrase that is never used again. The first view, I said that you can make mistakes and maybe uh, the image of God is a little tarnished or it's a little fractured, but it's still there. This fourth view says, no, it's gone. The phrase, it's not even appropriate to use it with any of us. Which is why it's so important when in, if you read through the New Testament, you get to a book called Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 15, which says, He is the image of the invisible God. That is the first time that the idea, the theme, the phrase, the image of God has been used since Adam and Eve, but this time in reference to Jesus. So all of a sudden, in the book of Colossians, the, uh, the man named Paul, Saul, wrote this letter and uses this incredibly charged phrase for the first time in what might be thousands of years. Image of God has happened again, but this time in a new Adam who ushers in a new humanity that this phrase can be used again. And so in Colossians it says, that it's important for you and I and everyone else we know to take off our clothes. It's a metaphor. (laughs) Pretty sure it's a metaphor. And put on Christ. That you and I and everyone else we know can resume being in the image of God when we put on the virtues of Christ. When we live lives of faith, hope, and love when we fill our lives with being patient and kind, not boastful or crude, never holding account of wrongs, when we hope all things, believe all things, endure all things, when we put these characteristics on, we are resuming and and taking back on the image of God that has been lost for a very, very, very long time. It kind of gives you chills, doesn't it? So this is an incredibly, incredibly charged passage. Genesis 1.26 has come down through the history books. It has been passed down for centuries and thousands of years as a very formative phrase or idea or theme that helps us to understand humanity. Now, there is one thing to think about, is that maybe you have the perspective that says, well, which one is the right view? In fact, um, some of us might have come from churches that only taught the first view, that everyone has inherent dignity, uh, importance, and value just because of who they were made by, and that nothing can take that away. Well, the fourth view is very opposite of that. It says it's been lost. And so you might be at a church where you never heard what I just gave. 
perspectives two, three, and four. But the thing is, a lot of us have either or thinking. We think if it's not A, then it has to be B. Logic doesn't quite capture it right now. Because I think I would like to encourage you to take this phrase and, and juggle it. That you can carry all four of these perspectives at the same time. Rather than giving into either or statements, wrestle with the fact that maybe all four of these are true. That each one of these four views present a, an angle or they, they kind of give a different kind of weight to the phrase image of God, a different kind of depth to the phrase image of God that otherwise is never even tapped, it's never even noticed, it's never drawn from if you're not even aware of these other angles, these other perspectives, interpretations of the phrase. So a good question for you is which view is your favorite view and which one is the one you kind of don't like, but you know that there's something good in it. And if you so feel so inclined, <laughs> feel free to share that thought, quote, or idea uh, on Facebook. There's also an Ambush Twitter. I think it's just Ambush Podcast. So just look that up and you can reply with what you think was your favorite view of Imago Day, and what was the one that you don't quite like, but you know it challenges you in the good way. So, let me quick recap. First one says, you and I and everyone else we know uh, have inherent dignity, importance, and value. Number two says, pay attention to what you're reflecting to the people around you. Because you're going to be in the image of whatever is your ultimate concern. Three says, we are the image of God collectively. And the fourth says, we've all lost it. But that's why it's important to put on the virtues of this man Jesus of Nazareth, who was revealed as being the Christ. So may you go forth Live in the mystery and the promise of being in the image of God. All right? Cheers. Until next time, thank you for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Bye.